0: Hi, I'm Pastor James, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church in Hillsborough, Oregon. Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. Our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so each weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please visit our website at www.isunrise.com. I-S-O-N-R-I-S-E dot Now from there you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you, grow along the journey of life with others, develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost, and then learn how to lead other people to know Jesus Christ. Now, on to our weekend message. Awesome. Last week, I was looking for a book, and I have a lot of books. I was in my office, didn't find it. I was at home in my office, didn't find it. I went to my wife's bookcase near our bed there, her side of the bed, and I, I didn't find it. But as I was looking through the books, I found another book that I love, and I just sat there in her chair, and I just started reading this book. It's like, I love books. They're just, they're amazing. The, the stories, the things that are contained there. This book in particular that I just grabbed, it was just a memory for me. About 10 years ago, my wife and I read this book, Irresistible Revolution, Shane Claiborne just really life-changing, really convicting, a powerful message about being in the church. And as I opened it up, I realized that little thief, my wife, I don't know where she is, but she didn't even show up in church. Thanks boys for holding the door there for her, but she's gone. Uh, she took my book. It was my book because it was my notes and was my highlights, things like that. And, and so um, I'm looking through it and, and as I open it up, my eyes fall on this quote that it, to me summarizes everything that is wrong with the church today. And it uh, from Soren Kierkegaard, and uh, this is the quote. The matter is quite simple. The Bible is very easy to understand, but we Christians are a bunch of scheming swindlers. I like this. This is good. I like, anytime we can be bitter and biting, it's great, because it's, the, it's what we need. We've got to be woken up. We Christians are a bunch of scheming swindlers. We pretend to be unable to understand it because we know that very, know very well that the minute we understand, we're obliged to act accordingly. Take any words in the New Testament and forget everything except pledging yourself to act accordingly. My God, you will say, if I do that, my whole life will be ruined. How would I ever get on in the world? I mean, seriously, think about that. We've been in this Gospel of Matthew for a year and a half. We wrap it up in a couple weeks. And Jesus has said some amazingly profound things. But have we done them? Or have we just become really good church people who are so accustomed to hearing the words, acknowledging the words, and go, what a great sermon, what a great moment, thanks God for teaching me that. And we go on to our very lives, and we forget that. Or worse, we come up with a way to convince ourselves great words Jesus doesn't apply to me today. So Kierkegaard goes on to say this. Herein lies the real place of Christian scholarship. Christian scholarship is the church 's prodigious invention to defend itself against the Bible, to ensure that we can continue to be good Christians without the Bible coming too close. Oh, priceless scholarship, where what would we do without you? Dreadful it is to fall into the hands of the living God. Yes, it is even dreadful to be alone with the New Testament. Well, I think that we are some of the biggest hypocrites on the planet. if we come to church every week and we hear about these things and we applaud these things and we listen to Jesus teach about serving and giving and loving and doing all these things and we clap and applaud and we go, great thing, and we walk home and we're not changed. In fact, we have come up with this system in our culture where we can call ourselves Christians and not look like Christ. It's a box we check. first book I'll ever write, don't check the box. That's what it'll be, right? You know, So, don't check the box. Don't do that. Don't just have a mental assent. well, I go to church, so I'm a Christian, right? No, that doesn't make you a Christian. That makes you... A person that comes to church, right? You know, you've heard the old adage, you know, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's make you a cheeseburger, right? Okay? And not a very good one at that, if you ask me, okay? So, sorry for you franchise owners. Um, But the fact is, is the reality, the truth of the matter is, if you don't look like Christ, how can you call yourself A Christian, Because that's what it means. If you say I'm a follower of someone, then you follow them, right? Well, I'm a follower, but I don't follow. That's an oxymoron. It doesn't make any sense, right? It's a contradiction of our very lives. And too many of the people that have gone on and have made, you know, the biggest impact for Jesus have been those that have actually done what Jesus said to do. And they think like Jesus. They act like Jesus. They feel like Jesus. They're moved by the things that, you know, moved Jesus' heart. Let's not create a church, a culture, where we can come and we can hear great, you know, ideas and sing great songs, and we can be challenged, and we can hear those sermons and, you know, feel good one day or feel bad the next day. A lot of people like to feel bad. They like those bad dog sermons where it's like, bad dog, you know what I mean? And then they kind of whimper away, but they feel good because they feel bad. That's the sick thing that goes on in our hearts. It's like, oh, it made me feel like crap this weekend. That was a good sermon. Like, no, that's just false guilt, Okay. Do something about it, right? I think I used a bad word in church, um, but anyway. So um, the, the reality is, that's what we do. I love this word from John, First uh, John two six. John, the early follower of Jesus, he said this: Whoever claims to live in Him must walk as Jesus did. Come on, if you claim to live in Him, you must look like Him. You must follow in His steps. Charles Sheldon, late eighteen hundreds, wrote that book. And I read that my senior year of college and was so just caught up in this question. Do I look like Jesus? Do I walk in Jesus' steps? How would Jesus do this today? I was a college student, so I just wrote out a thought. I mean, what would Jesus do if he were here today? If I were to walk in his steps or he would be in my shoes, what would he do? I was a resident assistant in a men's dorm. How would he do that? How would he love people? How would he shepherd these young college students? Um, I was a, a, a person in, in the, you know, the academic area. I was a person in, in, in the government area. Area in our, our school. I had a lot of different positions. It's like, what would it mean if I did that as if Jesus was doing it? How would Jesus do it? What? Well, I had to go to the Gospels to find that out. So I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then and then I, I read the Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. That just blew everything up for me. It's like, what would it look like to not have cheap grace anymore, but costly grace, and say, this is real. I'm I'm jumping in 100. percent. I don't want to just call myself a Christian. Man, I don't want to be deceived. I don't want to waste my life. I want to do what Jesus said to do. And that takes you down a journey where your life has changed, radically changed. But it's easy for us just to come to that point where we go, Eh, you know, my life, come on. I mean, yeah, you're a pastor. I get it. But, you know, me, I'm a fill in the blank. I'm a mechanic. I'm a teacher. You know, I'm an engineer. You know, I'm a homemaker. I don't know. Me? How could I do anything significant I mean, I'm just I'm just a normal church person. What are you expecting of me? I come and I go and do this. I drop five bucks in the offering plate, and that's the show, right? What would it look like for you to recognize that you could make an eternal impact in someone's heart? I mean, I'll take you back to next week in Easter. Seriously, my friends, we have one of the world's greatest evangelists showing up in our house. Okay, uh, have you thought to bring a non-Christian friend? And if you don't know any non-Christians, you have a week to know someone, okay? All right. Luis Palau, a great, humble man, but a powerful communicator of the words of Jesus and the gospel. And he's going to call for a response. He's going to do a far better job than I would do. In fact, I was shocked when he said yes, that he would do it. And we're going to be blessed. You could make an eternal difference in someone's life this week. Because everybody lives forever somewhere. And just in the relationship you build with a person... And invite them along on this journey. You could help them see that there's a new opportunity. Maybe they won't say yes next week. Maybe it'd be too much. I don't know. But at least the engagement of God and his word is going to be in their heart. And you're going to do something with that. You're going to be a part of that. It could be months or years down the road when they finally respond. But the fact is. Is we have a great opportunity even this week. My boys and I. Uh, we go to Starbucks once a week. Although that's overstating. Because we just started going again. And um, we picked a new Starbucks. And so we're there. And. And we're just talking about self-esteem and things like that and and how, you know, our our flesh, you know, cries out for certain things and and yet God sees us a certain way. And as we're there, I talk to my sons a lot about, because they're great young men, you know, about treating people with dignity and respect because everybody's made in the image of God. No matter how marred, how broken it might seem on the outside, how much muck and mire has been surrounding that person because of their actions. I get it. But deep inside, there's a person that's made in the image of God. And dearly loved by Jesus himself, he went to a cross for them. And can we see that? And it's like even how we treat the, the barista, the person there, saying thank you on the way out. You know, we went to Home Depot uh, the last week working on a car, getting some chemicals, some strong stuff to to get grease and paint and bondo off and stuff like that. And it's like, now we need gloves. And so we go back to the gal. I said, let's go to her because she was vivacious, excited, you know, selling chemicals. And, um, and and just, hey, you know what? We just said, thank you. You're such a great, you're like the best Home Depot worker. You need the word, you know, on that thing. But if you could see your life as a gift to others... In the very actions, the very words, the way you respond to people, the way you treat people in line in front of you, or, you know, (laughs) on the freeway in front of you, right? The co-workers seated next to you. If you could see them as God sees them, dearly loved sons and daughters that have yet to come into the family, so they're not sons and daughters yet, but they could be, you don't know, but just reach out to them. You do not lock eyes with anybody this week who God does not dearly love, who God would not want to invite them into his family and as Luke 15 says would not want to throw a party Of all, all of heaven will stop and throw a party when that person says yes and you can be a part of that you really can and sometimes it's in the smallest ways it's in the ways of serving it's in the ways of helping people most people respond to Christ when they're in what we call three T's tension, transition or trouble they really do, because they finally wake up and realize, I'm, I'm not God. How, how'd that happen? And now they, they look for God, right? This is how it happens. Tension, transition, and trouble. It's a good moment to wake up. Uh, I, I like this uh, quote. I, I really enjoy Henry Nowen and his writings. Compassion to be with others when and where they suffer and to willingly enter into a fellowship of the weak is God's way to justice and peace among people. That in the way you treat people this very week, this very day, you could be a part of healing, you could be a part of justice, you could be a part of, of righteousness in someone's life. You know, again, we have this on the wall, to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly. Micah 6, 8, this is God's call for us. What does that look, what does that look like for you to do that this week? You could be a part of entering into someone in their weakest time and place and just being with them. I had a dear friend to spend like an hour and a half with him and I get home and he, he calls me and I thought it was like a butt dial because there was nothing there at the end and, and I'm just, and then he says my brother just died. I'm like I'll be right over. And I'll, I just spent an hour just going over. I didn't have anything to say. I, did, I shouldn't have said anything. I didn't need to say anything. I just wanted to be there, right? To weep and to cry and pray. In those moments when there's somebody around you that's hurting and broken, When someone in a moment of weakness, you can be God's agent, ministering angel as it is to serve them and to love them. In fact, this is very, very dear to the heart of Jesus. And in fact, he wraps up his very last... Uh, Message as Matthew records it to the disciples with these very words. In fact, turn to Matthew 25, and uh, we're going to see this, and it's going to be uh, page 754 in your chair Bible. And this is these are the last public words, uh, you know, of Jesus as far as with his disciples. Matthew doesn't record much of the upper room experience like John does. He spends a lot of time in it. So this is what Matthew says. Jesus is with his disciples in the Mount of Olives, and this is the conclusion of the matter. After three years, three and a half years of public teaching and ministry, this is what he does. He he sits there with his guys, and he just reminds them, hey, I'm coming back. I I I know I've come, and when I came the first time, I was a little baby, meek, weak, you know, lowly in a manger, uh, but I'm coming back, and I'm coming back with power and might. I'm coming back with a sword. This time, it's about the cross and laying my life down, but the next time, it's about the final judgment. So when the son of man comes, that's Jesus. He's talking about himself. It's a prophetic messianic term from the book of Daniel. When the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will set upon his glorious throne and there will be no atheists that day. Okay. Because everybody's going to see him. I don't care what your political bent is. I don't care what your spiritual bent is. But the fact is, is that whatever you think you think about God, he's right. Okay, and you're wrong if you're not lined up with him, and everybody's going to see that in that day. He is the king of kings and the lord of lords, and we don't get to choose what he is all about. He is, okay, and we're not. So he's going to stand there or sit there on that throne, and he's going to judge. All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, using a common metaphor, an illustration uh, that everybody at that time would have understand understood. All the shepherds, they have both sheep and goats. They're both important. A number of years ago, just going to Israel and on a, on a tour, a sunrise tour, uh, we saw these young shepherd gals bring in this flock of sheep and goats just over the horizon and they just wandered all around us. It was a cool biblical scene and they're just tending their flock as they walk all around us trying to eat whatever scrub they can. And uh, it was it was a picture of this. That shepherds have sheep and goats in the mix. That's just kind of how it works, all right? And for a shepherd, they're both valuable. They have different purposes. A sheep would have some kind of wool and. Goats would have some kind of milk. Um, But in the Bible, the metaphor is this. A a sheep is in a relationship with God. You know how in the book of Psalms 23, David says, the Lord is my shepherd. There's this picture that is put out there that we are sheep and we need a shepherd, right? That we like sheep, Isaiah says, have all gone astray. We wander off. We think, hey, that's the best grass for me. That's the best, you know, whatever for me. I'm going to go over there. And we get hurt. We get in trouble. We have predators that come. We get cast on our side. And we need a shepherd to pull us out. It's not a great metaphor. It's kind of humiliating. It's like God calling us chickens. It's like, wow, that's really humiliating. You know what I mean? We have chickens. Trust me, they're dumb. Okay? Um, But sheep are desperately in need, so they stay close to the shepherd. But in the biblical analogy, sheep are people that know God. Goats, on the other hand, are people that don't know God. And in any group, there are sheep and there are goats. In this picture, Jesus says he's going to gather all the nations, the whole world, and there will be sheep and there will be goats. And I know this in every church. There are sheep and there are goats. I don't know which one you are. You know, don't be deceived. I'm sure you know. But we don't know. We can't really tell on the outside. But one day, there's a day coming, and it will come. And Jesus has been saying this again and again and again. Life as we know it, on this earth... It's not just going to continue, it's going to cease, and I'm going to recreate everything. But in the meantime, I'm going to judge everybody for all of our actions. He's the perfect, absolutely perfect judge. And he will stand there and he will separate people, just like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand, that's the side of blessing, and the goats on his left side. Alright, this is a pretty powerful statement. In fact, what Jesus is going to talk about ultimately is going to be some of the most um, sobering words we could hear from Jesus. He starts off with this, though. He says to the sheep, the king will say, I love that the king, because he is the king. The king will say to those on his right, to the sheep, come. I love that. Come. You're, you're invited to come to me. Come, you who are blessed. To blessed means to be full. It is, it's not just happiness, but this is joy. Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. I love that. I was with uh, one of my guys this week, and I had great honor to lead him to Christ uh, a couple months ago, maybe a month ago or so. And I've been walking through with him uh, on, through follow-up material, and I just opened up Ephesians 1, it's like from the creation of the world, you were chosen. Isn't that crazy? That is amazing to think that long before anything was ever in God's mind about the earth, He had you on His mind. It's like, I like that. That's how much He loves us. And He chose us from the foundation of the world and He put us together and He he planned all this and He put it together and Acts 17 says He orchestrated all these things so that we might search for Him. He's not far from us. If we would just see Him. And that was you, I was telling my friend. All that. Because God loves you so much. Jesus says from the foundation of the world, creation of the world, you've been destined for a kingdom. And so come into it. You're blessed to be in the kingdom. And then he says, for I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Now, that's a a list. That's a personal list that Jesus says. I was in a moment of need and you met my need. And and I I look at that list and I go, well, hold on. Okay. People that are hungry get fed. People that are thirsty get a drink. People that are strangers, they're invited into a home you know hospitality is the love of stranger but if you look at the original greek words it's kind of it's kind of fun because it's not just like stranger but it means strange person you know what i mean so it does i mean just someone different from you you know what i mean it might be weird but i mean strange just like it's strange it's not normal and, and this doesn't count if you invite a person just like you in you know but someone who's different than you someone who's on the other side Of whoever you are. And invited them into the home. I was naked. Jesus said when I was naked you put clothes on me. When I was sick you cared for me. When I was in prison. How could Jesus get in prison? And you came and you visited me. About ten years ago, maybe a little more than ten years ago, I was reading through my Bible. I read through Bible every year. It's about like year twenty. I was into this, and I'm reading, and all of a sudden I came upon this verse. It just floored me. It's like, where did this come from? This has never been in the Bible. I grabbed all my translations. Sure enough, it was there. I I thought maybe somebody just put it in because I'd never seen it before. It's like this isn't fair. This is a new verse for me, and it's from Proverbs thirty-one. You ever had that happen? It's kind of weird. You're like, that's not in the Bible. It's like, sure enough, it's in the Bible. Where was I? Okay, this is in Proverbs thirty-one, the virtuous woman chapter, which all the ladies hate. Okay, because none of you can match up to that. It's like every you know, Mother's Day, preach to the virtuous woman. Thanks, I'm not coming to church. You know, Make me depressed. Um, but look at this. Speak up. Just before that, about this virtuous woman, speak up. Speak up. Don't stay silent. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. And that just... It stopped me in my tracks. I was sitting in a chair. I was reading this in the morning. I'm like, oh, Lord, I'm in trouble. First of all, I don't know anybody that can't speak for themselves. I have a voice. But I don't know anybody that doesn't have a voice. How can I speak up for those who can't speak for themselves if I don't have anybody like that in my life? Ensure justice for those being Crushed. Do I know anybody being crushed in the engine of injustice? Do I know anybody? And I didn't. I thought, oh, I'm in trouble here. How can I obey a passage of scripture when I am fundamentally opposed to it by my life, though? Man, speak up for the poor. Do I really know any poor people? I mean, I was poor growing up, worked my way out of that, went to college, got a good job, that kind of thing. But I was was, our family was dirt poor growing up. But do I know any poor people? Actually, I've tried to distance myself from poor people because that was my background. That was my life. I, you know, it's too painful, right? And then the helpless. Do I know anybody that's helpless? And see that they get justice. Wait a minute, God. You're telling me that it's up to me to pursue justice, righteousness for them? And man, it was just one of those, oh, I got to change everything. I shared it with my wife. shared it with my friends. I'm like, man we got to share. I got to change our church, you know. We got if, if this is really what God says, and I checked all the translations, it's there. I just missed it. Then we got to do it. And this became and has been the posture of Sunrise Church. Because that's what we want to do now, right? We don't want to just show up in church and be nice, warm, well-fed people and look good and compliment each other on how nice we look and how much we look like Christians, whatever that means, and we go home. That's what's that. Maybe that's American Christianity, but I don't want that. What a waste. To ensure justice. I, I had a pastor, this was along this journey after I got started in this. He looked at me goes, Well, you're, you're like an activist. I go, I'm not an activist. He goes, Yes, you are, you're an activist. I go, I'm not an activist. I don't carry, you know, banners or picket signs or show up at marches and things like that. And then I went and read in the dictionary the word activist. I go, oh, dang, I'm an activist. <laughs> I think about other people and fight their cause. I go, oh, okay, I guess I'm an activist. And I look pacifist, I go, oh, I don't want to be that. You know what I mean? Maybe in war, but I mean, I don't want to be that, right? I don't want to kill anybody, but it's up to me to get up and do something about it, to find people to, better yet, have people in my life that have these needs and do something about it. What about you? Jesus said that when I was hungry, do you know any hungry people? When I was thirsty, do you know any thirsty people? When I was naked, when I was cold, when I was sick? All those things. When I was a stranger, do you have a room in your house that you open up to people? You know, do you, do you have a regular opportunity to visit prisoners or in our context, invite ex-prisoners over to your home? Do you have any of that? Because I know, and the Bible is so clear. We are not saved. We do not earn a relationship with God ever. We can't. Jesus earned it for us. Okay. But he will look at us and ask, is there any fruit from your salvation? I mean, we don't get to heaven by our works, no question. Giving a cup of cold water to somebody does not make us a Christian or get us closer to being a Christian in the sense of earning something, not even close. However, once we have that, if we really have it, we will do those things. It's called the fruit of our, of our salvation. Paul's very clear. The only way to, to, you know, to believe in God is by faith, not by works. And James turns around and says, Yeah, but if you say you have faith, show me your works, because you've got to demonstrate it. And it's both. It's both, and that's what we, we've got to have both of those. Well, and the funny thing is here, is that these people are completely shocked. Like, um, I'm sorry, what did you say? The king? The king said what? Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? I, had, I, I fed a lot of people, but I'm pretty sure I remember you. You know what I mean? Um, or thirsty and give you something to drink. I, I carried a lot of waters around in my car and I handed those out to people. And I, 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 I you know, on a hot day I gave, but I don't remember giving what I think I remembered you, Jesus. Or a stranger and show you hospitality. I had a lot of people stay in my home, Jesus, but I am I am sure because I have a guest book and they sign it and it, it never said Jesus. I'm really sure you weren't one of those. Or naked and give you clothing. I, don't even, I couldn't even have looked. You're God and you were naked. I don't know. Or sick or in prison and visit you. And the king will say, I love this. I tell you the truth. When you did it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Man, that should change everything for us. Because we judge people on the outside, we qualify people, we create categories, and we create spaces, and we we look down on people or sideways or whatever. And it's like, what right do we have to do that? Because we could be serving Jesus. You know, in the Hebrews book, of Hebrews, there's a, there's a lot of weird stuff in Hebrews. It's a great book, but this one is really weird. That it says you could be entertaining angels and not be aware of that. You could. You, you could be entertaining angels and not be aware. And if there's a Facebook story about it, probably don't believe it. But the fact is, is that you could, you could serve someone, you could help someone, and, and you didn't realize it was a stranger, but it wasn't, it was an angel. Jesus ups the ante on this and says, it could even be me. It could even be me. I will show up in those moments. I mean, that is powerful, my friends. When is the last time you stop to think about the reality? The reality of just the simple acts, the simple, the simple steps of love have so much meaning in the heart of Jesus, that when you do it to the least of these brothers and sisters, you're doing it for him. Everybody is loved by God. Everybody is called to come and pursue. I know everybody won't. I I get that. But we don't get to determine that. And who we go after, we shouldn't get to determine. We should just go after people. We should go after people and love them and, and do the things that Jesus said. And let Jesus sort it out, all right? Again, we're not talking about, well, I'll say it this way. I had a guy come up to me years ago, and he goes, I'm leaving the church. I go, okay, why? Um, because all we care about is the social gospel. And I laughed in his face, which probably helped him leave the church. Um, and that wasn't the most compassionate pastoral thing. But I, I'm, and I said, I said, you have no clue what you're talking about. We're a social gospel church. That's a joke. You know what a social gospel church is? A hundred years ago, the church stopped preaching Jesus and just served people. And they never talked about Jesus. I said, we talk about Jesus all the time in our church. Everything we do is about Jesus. Now, we, we, we balance and we have that tension of, of redemption. People are, you know, need to go to heaven, need to have a relationship with God, but also restoration, which is they need to be whole. But we do both. And sometimes it's more on this side or sometimes it's more on this side. But you know how many people are saved and baptized at our church? Social gospel, you know, that give me a break. That's not what we do at all. But if you want to go to a church that doesn't do any social, go for it. All right. I want to be a church that does both. I want to be a church that does what Jesus did. Did Jesus feed people that were hungry? Absolutely. Did he heal people who were hurting? A hundred percent. Did he teach them about the kingdom? Oh, absolutely. Did he tell them to repent of their sins and turn to God? A hundred percent. Did he baptize them? Yeah. We want to do all of those things and more, and not just create a little Christian circle where we do these things. And and yeah, I'll, I'll tell them about going to heaven, but I'm not going to feed their stomach. Well, they can't hear you; they're not going to respond. So love them in the name of Jesus. So Jesus says, this is important stuff. And they're shocked. Then, of course, it flips around. And Jesus talks to the other group of people, the goats. The king will turn to those on his left and say, "Away away with you. Now, he said to the sheep who were evidenced by their actions. Didn't earn it by their actions, but evidenced by their actions. Come, come to me. And he will say to these people, away with you. You cursed ones. He said to the people that had evidenced their salvation with that fruit of serving. He said, you're blessed. Here he says to these people, you're cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. That people would say, I don't really want to serve and love people. Then you're going to earn the same result that the devil earns. That's harsh. My friends. I mean, there are some parts of the Bible that scare me, and I'd love to take a black highlight or two, you know what I'm talking about? Because it's like, ha, this is one of them. And what scares me as a pastor is that I I could be standing up here and preaching and just giving feel-good messages, and people are goats, and I never confront them with the truth, you know? I never want to do that. You have a decision to make. If you're in this situation, Jesus is going to say, "For I was hungry and you didn't feed me; I was thirsty you didn't give me a drink; I was a stranger you didn't invite me into your home; I was naked you didn't give me clothing; I was sick and in prison you didn't visit me." That's pretty specific. This is not some well. You were nice to me. No, no. I was hungry. I was naked. I was thirsty. I was sick. I was in prison. Very specific list. In fact, if you look at this, this is, again, I said it earlier, the posture of our church. But the truth of the matter is, these are the things we do as a church. That's how we want to lean forward into our culture and our community. By doing these things. And we do others. But we do these because at least these were on the heartbeat of Jesus himself. And then the conclusion of the matter. <laughs> that Lord, When? I'm pretty sure i remembered you, you know. When did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refused, not just passive resistance, but you refused. You were given an opportunity and you said, no. You refused to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters. You were refusing to help me. Oh, man. And they will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous... Will go into eternal life and, and, and again I want you to hear it. I think this is the third time your eternal destination is bound up in you receiving or you rejecting Jesus no question okay however that being said if you truly have received Jesus you will be following him and somehow he'll move your heart to love like him it won't be what other people do it'll be something different you might not give cups of cold water you might open your home I don't really know You'll do something. It might not even be on the list, but you will do something because you've been so won over by the heart of God that He's forgiven you of your sins, that He's come into your life when you were broken and hurting at the worst possible spot and He redeemed you, He purchased you out of the slave market of sin when all you could do was sin and sin and sin and you couldn't do anything but sin. You were locked into it. And out of love, He said, I don't want you to stay like that for eternity. I want to buy you out of that. And you say, yeah, I'm in. <laughs> You know, invite me, Jesus. You respond to that. And now your life is is filled with that. And you never forget where you came from. And you always love people. And you go out after people that are hurting and broken. Or as we say, the least, the last, the and loss. And when you do that, you're doing it in Jesus' name. And you don't know all the results. You don't know the eternal results. But you know you're doing it for Jesus. And you're opening your mouth and talking about Jesus. Okay, it's not just one or the other uh, Annie, uh, Vander Kovring and I, uh, Taylor's wife, we were at, uh, we were part of a, a, a justice center thing in, in Hillsborough. And so all the people involved in that were asked to give presentations and it rolled around to where we were asked to give a presentation. I was a little fearful because, you know, I want to share all the things we do. I never want to boast about that. We have just a list of things Hillsborough campus has done for our community. And so we took a bunch of pictures and put them up there and we just went through a slideshow of all these things. And, and we just said this and this and this. And I said, but when all said and done, I said, I need you to hear why we do what we do. If, if you only hear that first part and don't hear the rest, I have been wrong in sharing this. You have to hear this. And I shared the Proverbs 31 verse 8 and 9. This is what God wants for us. We're called to do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. That's what we're called to do as a community. Of faith in the middle of a bigger, broader community. And we're all over the place in this community, and we just want to do that. And then I, I said, as I read the Old Testament, uh, the first part of the Bible, especially Isaiah 57 58, this is how God. Speaks of justice, because it's a justice center. And, and, and biblical justice is fair and equal treatment for all. There's no discrimination. God loves everybody, alright? We're not gonna look at people and go, if you're this high, or if you're, you know, if you can't pass through this, or if you have this color, or if you make this kind of money, or if you're this sexual orientation, or anything like that, none of that. We're just gonna love everybody as people that are made in the image of God, however marred that image might be special concern for those without power realizing that we who have been given power even just by birth uh by status in the in the system of the world that we live in we we have to leverage that power for those that are weaker than us right and if you don't think you've been given power you're probably not paying attention okay again i'll just say it this way most of us are white and most of us are middle class and most of us could afford a lawyer if something happened to one of our kids but if you live in the inner city and your kid's black they're going to prison they're going to prison and they may or may not be more guilty than your kid but you have money and they don't and we gotta fix that right? and I don't know how to fix it, it's big but I'll tell you what God says let's have special concern for those without power those being crushed as Proverbs 31 says Radical generosity to those in need. Let's love every person. And then I shared a couple um, quotes from church fathers. These are people that lived the first couple hundred years uh, at the time of the gospel. And so this is the first one. Clement of Rome, the bishop of Rome, in the first century, probably about 88 A.D., said this. Let the strong take care of the weak. Let the weak respect the strong. Let the rich man minister to the poor man. By the way, did you know what the Bible says, the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, that um, we are the rich of the world. We are the rich of the world. If you have a home to live in, if you have a car to drive home to that home, if you have food waiting for you at that home, and if you have a change of clothes at that home you live in, then you're rich. I know it doesn't feel like it, but you're rich. If, if you don't believe that, go to Haiti, go to Cuba, go to Rwanda, go to Burundi, go to places we go to, go to India. We are rich. He says, Let the rich man minister to the poor man. Let the poor man give thanks to God that he gave him one through whom his need might be satisfied. Let the wise man manifest his wisdom, not in words, but in good deeds. And then in the 4th century, Basil of Caesarea, probably around 396, said this. When someone strips a man of his clothes, we call him a thief. And we who could clothe the person and refuse to, shouldn't we be called the same? Aren't we a thief? That's what Basil said. And one who might clothe the naked and not. Does, does he not deserve the same name? And the bread in your cupboard belongs to the hungry. The coat in your... Again, these people had nothing compared to us. The bread in your cupboard belongs to the hungry. The coat in your wardrobe belongs to the naked. The shoes you let rot belong to the barefoot. The money in your vaults belongs to the destitute. Because one day you'll die and it'll all be gone and you'll give it to your kids and they'll fight over and hate each other for decades. And, and that's what inheritance does, Right? Or you can just give it away now. And let Jesus take care of your eternal future and your retirement, right? Uh, A couple examples of this. Um... And I, I want to share these just as examples. I was sitting yesterday, been sick, fever, my kids gave, thanks, wonderful gift, fever, well, love y'all. Um, I got home last night, they were all asleep already, you were already in bed by the time I got home from church, man, you guys are sick. And uh, so they gave me sickness, not early in the week when I could recover, like Thursday, thanks guys, love you. And um, so I was, in you know, sick in bed Friday and Saturday. Yesterday, I'm sitting in bed, electric blanket on, stupid cat at my feet there, you know, worthless creature, and uh, just, she's just and I get my laptop up and it's like, ding, I got, I receive an email and it's Kiva. I don't know if you know Kiva, Kiva is a loaning organization. It's a micro lender. And, uh, at 2008, so, uh, nine years ago, I preached a series here. We just moved in the building called making poverty history. And I talk about just doing small acts of love, you know, in Jesus name, what's just a simple way. The junior high girls. The junior high girls got together, and they raised $100. Take a look at this. Sunrise Junior High Girls, that's Ines, and that's Sophie, and uh, these six gals. They came to me and said, hey, we want to do that. And they gave me $100. And so in February of 2008, I opened an account with them right there. This room over here, their classroom. And we opened an account, and they helped me. They Describe the parameters. We don't want any sugar uh, kind of goods. We don't want people selling pop or whatever. We want good, healthy stuff. We want to focus on women um, that are, you know, in desperate poverty. We want to focus on people that, you know, are followers of Christ or connected into a Christian community. Great, no problem. So we set this up. Now they give me hundred dollars, and I invested hundred dollars. The way Kiva works is that they do micro loans, twenty-five dollar loans, and those add up. And then because of the pressure of the community, the payback is unbelievable. In fact, in nine years, we've only lost $5 and like 39 cents on those 100 bucks. Everything else's been paid back. <laughs> By the way, that's not how America does it. We just go bankrupt. Okay, they don't. They pay their debts, okay? And and so that $100 has been loaned 25 different times, has it uh, 25 different chunks. Uh, basically, it's equated to about $700 have been loaned out, 12 different countries that have been supported. And these young gals, who <laughs> are not young anymore, you know, they've grown up. They themselves did this. And I've just been getting emails every six months or a year going, hey, your money's here in the account. What are you going to do with it? I'm like, okay, I'm going to, for the junior high girls, I've given some reports back to Sophie and Ines about this. And I don't even know if these gals know about this. If they want they can have the account. I just have the login information. I mean, I'll be an old dead guy loaning money to people because a bunch of junior high girls said we want to do something. And they gave a hundred bucks. And people all around, most of Tanzania, Burundi and Rwanda, the places that we've, you know, stuck with Congo, uh, where, you know, we do ministry, um, we, we've done it there. And it's like, man, that's powerful. And they just said it's a simple act of love, right? Yeah. You know, when Jesus said it, he didn't say, you know, when I was hungry, you gave money in the offering and it went to the food pantry to go buy food so that the food pantry people could give it away. He didn't say that. He said, when I was hungry, you gave me. He said, when I was naked and I, I, I needed clothes, uh, he didn't say, you donate your extra clothes to the clothes closet and they did it. And it's about a relationship. And so these young gals have done that. Last year at Easter, uh, we gave all of our Easter offering, which is the largest offering we've ever received at all, ever, um, to uh, refugees, for children in Burundi. Or they're in Rwanda now, but they're from Burundi. And I had been talking to Pastor Charles, African New Life. had been over there teaching a class last January. And I just said, what's on your heart? He said, all these Burundians because of the troubles and the fights and the war in Burundi and the corrupt government, they're fleeing their country. And all these kids are going to miss out on school for five, ten years. And that's not right. That's not just. And we need to get them in schools. We need to get them into food, boarding places, get them Jesus. And then when they go back to their countries, they'll be leaders. Just like he and his brother Fred were. They were refugees in Uganda during the 59 genocide. And they found Christ because of sponsorship. Because of people like us paying thirty-nine dollars a month, they came back into their country and they built up African Life Ministries. It's a phenomenal ministry. We plug in support a lot. And Charles said, "I, I want to see that for Burundi." So I just put that before you. We raised ninety-five, I think it was ninety-six thousand dollars last Easter. And so I went back in September to teach another class and I went out to Cayonza, one of the schools of kids we support, and there were about twenty of the kids there. And I sat and spent a day with them hearing their stories. And I grabbed my camera, my little iPhone, and I shot a little video. It's too long to share all of it and, and their their English is not good. Okay. English is like the fourth language, okay? Um, but 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 they shared it, and I'll put some of it on Facebook this week, but I just wanted them to share the thank you to you because when they were a refugee, and they were hungry, and they didn't have a home, and they didn't have water, and they didn't have school, you did it to them. Let's watch this. Uh, this is Pastor Charles from African New Life Ministries here in Rwanda. At Sunrise Church, I want to greet you in the name of Jesus Christ. And I also want to come before you to thank you for your generosity. I thank you very much for supporting the Burundi Fund and supporting the Burundi children at New Life Christian Academy. I'm really excited to bring to you a report for you to be able to see how your fund and your support to the Burundi children is changing lives at New Life Christian Academy. I just wanted to thank you for the fundraising for the kids for the Burundian kids and it's, it's great for what you are doing. Uh, my story started it was in June last year. My dad decided that me and my brother must come back to run, must come here to Rwanda to study from here because things out there were so bad that he didn't want us there and we decided to come here and I'm just grateful for what you are doing because I know that there are a lot of kids who will. Who will benefit from the fundraising thank you so much I want to take this time to thank you so much thank you so much with a big heart I want to thank you you know I, I don't have much maybe it's because I'm not good in English maybe it's because I'm not I'm not perfect by speaking English but I, I have I have a thankful in my heart thank you so much I if I say I love you, you will not believe me. But I love you so much. I love you so much for accepting to be used by God, because I really, really believe that if you do this, it's not because of you, but it's just because you accept the to hear the voice of God inside you. And I really, really I don't know how to say it, but I thank you so much. I don't know if you got it, but they said, thanks. <laughs> um, I'll share more of their story this week, put it up, but, um, you know, they're just teenage kids that have fled their country that didn't have a home, didn't have provision. And we just gave, see, I don't know what that looks like for you. How, how could you make the intangible God tangible this week? Uh, Next week, we're going to do another offering. It's Easter, and I'll tell you about that next week. It's going to be exciting. But um, between then, you have a way to make the invisible God visible in someone's life this week. Let's not just put it on the church. The church does that. Jesus says, when I was hungry, you. Not your pastor. When I was hungry, you. When I was thirsty, you. When I was naked, when I was a stranger, you. When I was sick, when I was in prison, You. That's on us. That's on us. And those of us, and, and, and I count myself in this, who are sheep, and I hope all of us are, um, Jesus wants to use you. He wants you to discover the joy of giving your life away to others. Because that's where Jesus is found. In the margins of our society and our culture, with the hurting and broken. and the least, the last, and the lost, and they're desperate to find people that would love them. Because they're pretty far outside of circles, where people love them. And he's, he's called us to do it. So this week, what would it look like for you to make the intangible God tangible in the life of a person? Let's pray. So Father God, I thank you for uh, the words of Jesus as uh, strong as they are, as harsh sounding as they are. They're true. And one day you'll come again and the king will sit on a throne. And we will stand before him, bowing before him, confessing him as Lord and Savior. Some of us will hear good words. Some of us won't. I I don't know how else to say it, Lord. That's what you've said clearly. May all of us here in this room know with certainty that we'll hear, Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and be blessed. If not, God, we we have to get straight with you first. It's not about giving cups of cold water. It's going to save us. But it's about Jesus himself. We come to you, Lord. We confess you as our Lord and Savior. We believe that you died on the cross and rose again. And we invite you into our lives. Show us, Father, what it means to live like Jesus. We pray in His name. Amen. Amen.